What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, we're going to talk about all the games today, but I've got something to say. Let's hear it. Yes, sir! Let's go, baby! I think I woke up my wife. We're recording at 8.10 on Sunday morning. Apologies to anybody that just had to turn down their audio. I'm the man of my word. Had to live up to it. Holy cow, Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks are so fun. And what they did to Texas on Saturday night didn't seem fair for welcoming the new team into the SEC, but that is exactly what they did. What a statement that was in Fayetteville. I thought that Arkansas would come out and they'd be able to control the tempo. I thought the defense was gonna play smash mouth football. I thought Texas would put up more of a fight. <laughs> that did not happen. My, I, I was blown away by how lopsided that game truly felt. Smash mouth, hat on hat football. Texas didn't want to be there. Do you notice that? Like, if you're gonna show up to, it was like the, the kid who goes to orientation when they're going off to college, right? Like, new experiences, like trying to embrace it. And the entire time the kid is acting like, this is gonna be the worst thing ever, and this is such a drag, and, you, and, he, and the kid just hates being at orientation for college. Mm -hmm. This was Texas's SEC orientation, or at least it was supposed to be. Let that be a lesson that you don't show up to an SEC venue like that with, it, with a place that was filled to the brim and ready to explode at a moment's notice. Let the record show that you don't show up there and play that soft of football. Oh yeah. Texas got pushed around all night. Well, I know the LSU game, the LSU game's on at the same time, so it's a little bit, a little bit tougher, but like. Oh, if you think I was watching to, that, to, no sir. <laughs> oh, okay. I was, I was dialing, I, I wanted yeah. to make sure. Okay. I'm so happy for Arkansas fans that they won, especially in that way. If they had to, it, almost in a weird way, if they had to sweat that one out, maybe I'm just a little bit jaded from the way that it went last year for Arkansas during these close games, but it almost felt like if Arkansas had to sweat that out, it would have been like, all right, Texas is gonna find some way to figure this out. Whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. And that, that didn't happen. That did not happen at all. Instead, Arkansas ran for over 300 yards. Rocket Sanders had that play that just epitomized the entire game where he gets in space, it's a little cutback, and then he drags this Texas defender all the way to the end zone from the six. Oh yeah. And you're like, it's over. This, this is done. It, it's, I, I, I thought that the way that Arkansas stuck to the game plan like that was, was exactly the way that you would draw it up. There was this play to this sequence that I loved from, from the Arkansas offense. And I know we're critical of Arkansas coming in because the way that it played out against Rice and the passing game looks so bad and you shouldn't be down 10 points to a team like Rice midway through the third quarter when you've had eight months to prepare. The, there was this play from KJ Jefferson where he had his first read to his left and it's totally covered. And he, that those are the spots that I worry about with him. When he's like, all right, first read, second read, it's not there, what's he gonna do? And his scrambling is definitely better than what I thought it was going to be coming into this season. I'm already- Oh Lord, he coming. <laughs> 240 pounds of man coming at you. He was looking to his looking to his left, and then he went through. It was either one or two quick projections, or maybe the bubble screen wasn't there. So he works his way back to the right, and I thought he was getting ready to scramble. And I'm thinking to myself, this is looking a little bit 2017 Jalen Hurtsy, where Jalen Hurts, if he just didn't have Calvin Ridley open, he just was gonna run the football, 
And that's that's the only thing that he was going to do. That's the only thing he was comfortable with in Brian Dable's offense. So Burks, or not Burks, but yeah, Burks is open on the right side and he's scrambling and it looks like a broken play and Jefferson finds him for a first down to get into the red zone. And it was like a little bit of this maturation with KJ Jefferson on a play that easily, I think it was on third down too. So it could have held them out of scoring range. And two plays later, Kendall Bryles has Burks as the, the deep back in this very unique set. And he's got Dominic Johnson split up, like kind of in this like fullback role. It's not an I formation. He's got him split to the right a little bit. And he puts a man in motion and he fakes it to the, to the receiver in motion. And then he, instead, Jefferson gives it to Johnson who plows into the end zone. And it was like a little gadget play from Kendall Bryles. And it was a reminder, this guy's very good at what he does. And he knows and understands offense. And even in a game like that, when you think just show up and, and beat Texas in the trenches and the rest will take care of itself, they had plays like that that made you say, they got a little bit of juice. They got a little bit of swagger. They got a little bit of innovation. They do things that can just kind of frustrate you. And defensively, we saw that all night, all night. Jared Jones was in the house to watch <laughs> Texas. Well, he's, I mean, he's an Arkansas fan, obviously, of course, but um, Texas, Texas had 78 total yards in the first half and zero points. Jeez. Sarkeesian, man. This is the guy who had 28 consecutive games with 31 points coming into this game. The last time he didn't score 31 points as either a head coach or an offensive coordinator was before he was fired at USC in 2015. That's a long time. And Barry Odom, what did he do? He shut it down. That is why you cannot overestimate the hires. And Sam Pittman deserves so much credit, but he also deserves credit for the, the hiring of his assistants because Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles were phenomenal on Saturday night. Barry Odom outperformed Steve Sarkeesian. Let that sink in. Last year, that game was a bloodbath. Alabama, Arkansas, Alabama really got after it and, and got some special teams touchdowns, I believe, in that game. And Arkansas's depth was pretty limited down the stretch and it wasn't a fair fight. This was going to be a much fairer fight. And it was, in a way, but then you kind of look up at the scoreboard and you're like, wow, Arkansas is such a significant advantage on Texas. And they never let Bijan Robinson take over. Hudson Card was starting in his first true road venue and it showed. Zach Williams had this strip sack of Hudson Card where he's coming around the edge. And initially it looks like one of those plays where it's just kind of like a weird throw and it came out of his hand funny. And then they slowed it down on the replay. And then you see that Zach Williams had stripped his hand and he had pushed this ball forward and, and it was absolutely a fumble. And that was such a, a dagger play. And for a team like Arkansas who couldn't get a pass rush all year, seeing that was so important. I, I just love seeing Arkansas fans get to celebrate like that. Oh across yeah. the field. Man, that, that's, that's what college football is all about. I mean, those are the moments that even if Arkansas goes seven and five and, and if the SEC West kind of beats them up this year and it's still a little bit of a tough go once conference play starts, you're gonna look back on that and you're gonna think, you know what? We showed a different kind of potential. We showed that this coaching staff is on the right path. It's so many places right now, whether you're at Florida State with Mike Norvell losing to Jacksonville State on a walk-off touchdown. R.I.P. That play was bananas. Whether you're Florida State, whether you're you're Nebraska, and you're Scott Frost, and you're having to sweat out wins at home against Buffalo, and you can't even beat a bad Illinois team on the road. There are so many places that just want to have fan bases say, our coaching staff gets it. Mm -hmm. 
we are improving, we are making those strides, and Arkansas is. And it's so evident, even though they're limited, right? Like, they're still not a good passing offense. They're still not gonna be a team that's gonna beat you throwing it through the air for 300, 350 yards. I don't think KJ Jefferson's that guy, but Arkansas stuck to its identity and a little bit reminiscent of the Brett Bielema days, ironically enough, when they were at their peak. But not quite, because there's, like I said, there's more innovation to it, and they, there's more scheming involved, and and, and I, I think that they deserve credit for that. First top 15 win since the Brett Bielema era five years ago. Uh, Sam Pittman, Hunter Yerchek had this great post-game celebration moment where you could just tell how much it meant. And I, I, I often forget this, like Hunter Yerchek didn't technically hire Sam Pittman, but he was part of the hiring process for Sam Pittman. It was in the midst of the of, of the turnover um, that they had within the administration. So he's always going to be linked to him though, right? Mm-hmm. And they seem on the same page and they seem to be in, in line with each other's beliefs. And Sam Pittman came on this podcast and talked about how much it meant to him that when it came to giving Barry Odom an extension, Hunter Yurichek just, <laughs> It was like 15 minute conversation and they were good to go. And they got that taken care of, despite the fact that if you look at the raw numbers with what Odom did last year, you would say, well, Arkansas kind of kind of struggled and they struggled down the stretch, no doubt. But still, you see the positive signs when you see when this team is healthy and right, they're pretty good, man. They are pretty, pretty good. Will Texas win an SEC title this decade? <laughs> is the question <laughs> that we're gonna ask. Uh, oh, Will. A Texas non-con loss is the content that the college football world needs. And one day, maybe, they're not going to get that content. And one day, they're going to have to look elsewhere for a good September chuckle. Maybe it'll come in the form of a Florida State non-con loss. Who knows? That seems to be a trend that's not slowing down anytime soon. Eighth time in nine years that Texas loses a non-conference game. That's almost that's that's almost impossible. How do you do that? And you, you can look back. I mean, there's losses to BYU sprinkled in there, and oh, BYU yeah. had a nice little moment. I mean, Texas Texas finds a way. If you're if you're going to be competitive in non-conference play, Texas will lose to you. Texas doesn't care if you're Maryland. I mean, LSU is one thing, but Texas doesn't care if you're if you're Maryland with with you know a, a, a coaching staff in shambles. No, no, no. They're they're going to find a way to lose to Maryland beat them when they had, oh, who was it? Um, former LSU offensive coordinator. Why am I blanking Matt Canada. right now? They had Matt Canada as a head coach and beat Texas in non-conference play. So I don't they want to- They sure did, that to didn't they? And it was almost like it made him look like a good coach. It was so bad. I remember that. Yes, there was a little bit of this, oh my God, is like Matt Campbell about to get a power five head coaching job type of buzz for, for a minute there. Because when you beat Texas, you put the world on notice, but I don't want that to take away from anything Arkansas did. Fun, fun game of football. It was great. Will, thoughts on the Hogs just being the story of, well, besides maybe Jacksonville State. <laughs> don't want to take away from their shot. Don't want to take oh. away from the, the shot of Jacksonville State. Let me ask you this question, because you, you definitely hit on this. Do you think Arkansas has the best tandem of coordinators in the SEC? That's a great question. You couldn't have said that last year because of the way that things played out down the stretch. And I think that part of it, as I've mentioned, 
once they lost that depth in the front seven, they were just a shell of themselves, mm-hmm. of who they were in those first six games. Or if you look back at some of those defensive numbers, when they started to get banged up, it got bad. And it was always going to be that way without that depth. Time will tell, but I think that given the fact that Bama's you know, <laughs> Pete Golding, nobody, nobody really wants to offer Pete Golding any words of praise. <laughs> um, Bill O'Brien is still kind of in wait and see, so you can't definitively say that. Um, I'd say Dan Lanning and Todd Munkin yeah. are, are absolutely up there at Georgia. Those would be, those would be two that come to mind. Um, people really like Dan Lanning in this business. A&M's another one. Um, with, with Daryl Dickey and Mike Yelko, who Mike Yelko had himself a day. And we're going to get to that in a minute, A&M fans. You, y'all had to sweat that one out in Denver. I, I am so high on Mike Yelko as well, so I would probably say that's at least in the running. Mm-hmm. But, man, you kind of look around, you think about it, and, you know, Florida's not satisfied totally with Todd Grantham still. It's usually um, you get a team with one great coordinator on one side of the ball, and then on the other yes. side of the ball, it's like, ugh. And like, yeah, I mean, you look at Sam Pittman and he's a delegator and it's, it's funny because, you know, we could take a snapshot in time right now. And I love so much the quote that Sam Pittman had post game where he was like, you know, I love Arkansas. I'm as happy as I can be. Most people like me right now. And then he's just like, you know, at some point we're going to lose a game and maybe you won't like me as much, but right now I'm like the happiest man in the state. And it's like the way he said that was so perfect because it's like not too high, not too low. It's like, Hey man, like we know what we are exactly what you said. We know what we are. We're probably not going to go undefeated this year. There's going to be a time where we're going to stumble and you guys are going to say mean things about us. But right now, this is the happiest we can be. And it's, I love the amount of, you know, we talked about how, how unique it was that Sam Pittman came from being an O-line coach to being a head coach. And you look at what he's done, how he's built this staff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, another point that you made is that it looked like what the Bielema era should have. It was this smash mouth. You know, in many ways, yeah. The smash mouth thing, and it wasn't, we're going to get out there and throw the ball 50 times. It wasn't, we're going to have this flashy thing. It's like, we know what KJ Jefferson is. We're not going to turn into some monstrosity. We're going to play our game. And you look up, man, and KJ Jefferson outrushed B. John Robinson. Gosh, that's a crazy <laughs> thing. That is, that's wild to think about. And we always think that we have these hires figured out. Mm-hmm. And it's always going to make perfect sense. And you would have been laughed out of the room if you said that, what, 12 games into the Sam Pittman era, he's already going to be beating top 15 team. His team's going to be 2-0. and um, We're recording this on Sunday morning, so I don't know the official, um, we don't know the AP poll yet. I'm assuming Arkansas is going to be in there. They better be. I, I don't know. I don't know why they would be. Um, yeah, we'll fight if they're not ranked. Um, but you would look back on that hire and you look back at some of the comments and look, I was one of those people saying, who's gonna wanna take over this job? Because the rebuilding process that you would have to undertake to overhaul the roster that Chad Morris had, to bring in not entirely new quarterbacks, well, that's what Chad Morris tried to do. KJ Jefferson is a Chad Morris recruit, yep. you know? Like there, there are a lot of guys there. Grant Morgan was part of that old regime. Mm-hmm. Grant Morgan's so old, he was like part of the Brett Bielema regime. Like the guy's been there forever. Friend of the show, Grant Morgan, so we're allowed to say that he's old. There are others on that team who you look back and, you know, Traylon Burks is, Traylon Burks is, is a Chad Morris recruit. A lot of these guys are. And I, I think that this just goes to show you, you need in this era, 
a coach who players want to fight for. Yep. You need the right assistant hires and it, it takes an army. I mean, it really does. It's not just as simple as being one offensive mind here or there, but to rebuild it the way that Arkansas has is so impressive. I don't know if there's a coach who is easier to root for in all of college football than Sam Pittman. Some people, some, a lot of people like Tom Allen up at Indiana. That's going to come off a little bit biased, but if, if there's one other nationally speaking outside of the SEC footprint, that would probably be one of them. But just so happy for Arkansas fans. I've said that three times probably already, but I am. And y'all deserve what you got on Saturday night, which was a, a statement victory and one that you will look back on so fondly about this coaching staff. I'll, I'll say real quick too, it's like, one thing that kind of blew my mind about, you know, this being my first season of doing this is how easy it is to be wrong about a lot of stuff. And you said this, and I agreed going into this week that it's like, you want Sam Pittman on your side in this game, uh, especially against a guy like Sark who's taking over a roster. And it's so easy to say, you know, okay, well, we're taking over this program. We have to deal with X, Y, and Z. Suddenly, none of that mattered for Arkansas in this game because it was like they had the 300 Sparks out there against, against Texas, man. It was like they had their guys and that's all they needed. And you look across the field and we've seen this time and time again in college football. You know, these guys at Texas, regardless of where they came from with Tom Herman, were high recruits. They were guys that, you know, were probably the best player in their school. And, and you know, attrition it just isn't the same if you're taking over a Chad Morris team and a Tom Herman team. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? But No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Like, but the fact that for, you know, 60 minutes of football or whatever, Sam Pittman had these guys just playing their butts off and just destroying those trenches, man. You talk, you said 78 yards of offense in the first half. 78 yards of offense in the entire first half. For, this is an like, Arkansas team. I, I mean, they hadn't won an SEC. At this time last year, they hadn't won an SEC game in over a thousand days. A thousand days? A thousand days. Oh, man. So that's yeah. how quickly. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of it. It's just like, yeah, man, like we can say all this stuff about how things should be hard, how they should be X, Y, and Z, but it's like, this is why you love having Sam Pittman and why you can't just line up all these like flashy recruits and have this big, you know, like, impressive playbook and just think you can out scheme guys because so much especially at the college level is about mentality and about culture and yep. you love to see a win like this you know what sam Pittman probably did on saturday night after he fired up the jukebox of course hmm. after that a little bit after that after he got home and he's settling down i bet he went home had himself a nice meal and i bet he doused it in texas pete I'm sure yes, that Sam Pittman had some Texas Pete ready to go for his post-game meal on Saturday night, and regardless of what that was, at least I assume, this is the perfect time of year, whether you're Sam Pittman or not, to load up on Texas Pete, not only because it's football season, but also because right now, for our listeners, you can go to TexasPete.com and get recipes, t-shirts, hats, hot sauces by the box, like our favorite Australian listener, Tommy O'Rourke. You can do all of those things. And if you do that, you're gonna get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word. Go get 20% off your entire order. TexasPete.com, type in the promo code Saturday Down South. I need to load up on some Texas Pete, big time. I'm, I'm getting like, I'm like at less than the halfway point. You know when the, you know, the, the, the label covers up where you are at your bottle, so you're always kind of doing like the, the check to make sure you're not at the bottom because there's like that much real estate where you can see like through the clear bottle. You know, people, people listening know exactly. It's a warning sign about. right there. That means you're in trouble. Yes. 
that means I'm in trouble. I'm gonna have to go to Publix today, get me some more Texas Pete, or maybe I'll just order an entire box full and we'll do it that way to make sure that I'm not in this spot, this spot anytime soon. So go to texaspeed.com, promo code Saturday Down South, get 20% off your entire order, sauce like you mean it. Okay, Will, I know you wanted to talk about AM, and that's exactly what we're gonna do. Buddy, do that I. That game was nuts. That game was straight out of 1995. And it's funny because we talked about 1995 coming into this one about how AM hadn't been ranked in the top five this early in the season since 1995. They went up to Colorado the last time they were and lost. You kind of thought for a while, oh man, maybe history is about to repeat itself. Because Haynes King went down early, he was in a boot. That wasn't good because the Zach Calzada experience began. And uh, what's a nice way to say this? For most of Saturday, oh, no. the Zach Calzada experience was not pretty. And it made me sort of think that when Jimbo Fisher told us in the spring that they were really close, they were back and forth, that he might have been just uh, embellishing a touch. Because I don't want to say that Zach Calzada totally isn't on that level because he deserves credit for the way that he responded down the stretch. And I think it was like eight of their last nine third downs that they converted or something like that. But whew, when you know, you know when you see someone who isn't ready. Real and Zach quick, Calzada hold on. looks this, like he wasn't ready. You saying that like popped a fact into my head. Do you remember when uh, at FSU there was like supposedly a close QB battle between Jake Coker and Jameis Winston? <laughs> so. That's a great point. And I would love to go back, and this is maybe a midweek project, maybe it's an off-season project, but I would love to go back and look at every single Jimbo quarterback battle and look at some of the comments and see if I can just copy and paste from year to year, regardless of how it played out with a Jimis and Jake Coker. And look, Coker like won a national title. He ended up being a really good player at Alabama for, for a solid year. And I think Alabama fans were grateful, but you're right. Jimbo likes to say it's closer than it is. He doesn't want to put pressure on his quarterbacks via the form of like, you know, naming one the starter in camp or anything like that. And you could probably go back to the Nick Starkle, Kellen Mond stuff as well. And you'd see really similar yep. comments back in the day. Zach Calzada kind of looked like 2017 Kellen Mond before Jimbo Kellen Mond when he looked lost. Struggles to go through his progressions. It just didn't seem like he got a lot of easy looks or it didn't seem like he wanted to find the easy looks. He was always trying to fit it into that tight window. Even some of his completions, where he's throwing into these tight windows, he had back-to-back -back plays where it looked like a linebacker was gonna intercept it. And he had this one to, to Weidermeyer where I was like, yeah, it was great that he, that he finally fit it in there and he finally moved the chains, but it went through a Colorado defender's hands like right over the top, right through him, and it easily could have been picked. Calzada though, to his credit, he found his groove on those last two drives. Mm -hmm. I could not believe that fumble on the goal line Dude. on that run. When that happens, you're thinking, A&M, not your day. Yeah, this, I mean, this, you just feel so it. bad for that guy in that moment, too, because it's like, you know, you could oh, become like gosh. a middle school football coach and be like, you know, so it's all about ball security. But it's like, he literally was crossing the point. Like, it's like, it's not like he really necessarily did anything wrong. He just got hit at like a second too early because, you know, nine times. Go. What's up? He wasn't letting go yeah. or anything like that. Like yeah. nine times out of 10, that's a touchdown. So it's like in that moment, you're like, like as, as wild and as fun as that game was, you're like, oh, 
I counted four, at least four actual legit fumbles on the goal line from SEC players yesterday. Jeez. Two of which were from Chris Rodriguez, my guy C-Rod, and we'll get to the Kentucky-Mizzou game in a little bit here. But two of them were there, and then you also had the one in the South Carolina, East Carolina game as well. Mm -hmm. And that was a pivotal play, because that was a turnover. Kentucky had um, just a bizarre sequence of like that. And then there was one with Slade Bolden, where it looked like he maybe fumbled, but then they reviewed it, and he was fine, and he was actually in. But this one, A&M lost the football. And the way that the problem was, drives were taking so long, and those chunk plays weren't there. I mean, it was a seven to three game up until the final final minute there. And then when AM needed it the most, he starts converting these third downs. And Calzada had this beautiful touch pass to Isaiah Spiller in the end zone. That was all AM fans could have hoped for. Mm -hmm. You weren't playing for style points. I get it. You're a top five team. You want to kind of look the part. You want to flex your muscles. This is a game that you're, you know, 16, 17 point favorite, depending on where you looked. But this was a game of just get out alive. Because when you have a backup quarterback in who clearly does not get it and it limits your entire offense, you got to find a way to win ugly. And that is what AM did. That defense, it is darn good. Darn good. I know Colorado's not a world beater offensive squad. <laughs> I think we can say that. But Antonio Johnson, Jalen Jones, Leon O'Neal, and that secondary, the, that's the reason right there why I kind of why I said in the preseason why I thought they're gonna have a better chance to compete against Alabama. Alabama, way, way more offensive firepower than Colorado. I'm not comparing those two. But you saw yesterday what that secondary can do when they get those coverage sacks because you cannot give Jaden Peavy and DeMarvin Leal extra time. You cannot do it. They will get to you. It doesn't matter if it's a four-man rush. They will put a quarterback on the ground. There was, there was this one instance at the end of the game where I, I kind of realized that Leal just is everywhere nonstop all the time. And if anybody ever says in the pre-draft process that he doesn't have a high motor or something, they just haven't watched him play football because that dude does not stop. There should be a rule that he has to sit 15 snaps a game just so that the offensive line can catch their breath. That's like, we talk about like the hurry up offense and how defenses are trying to combat that. I think offenses need to combat for Leal because man, the top five potential, you see it all there. Good for AM to survive that one because that was easily a game that they could have lost and they, in many ways, probably should have. Probably should have. If Colorado gets off the field on any one of those late drives, yikes. Are you rethinking AM's long-term potential, the way that that played out? And we're saying this without knowing the significance of the Haynes King injury. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like when you said, uh, you know, this game makes you think about how they would play against a team like Bama, I got a totally different takeaway on that one. I feel like if you play this game against Bama, you're walking out of there with a 40-point L. Uh, I think that we talked about it, you know, in the preseason about how good their depth is and was. And, you know, you, their quarterback got hurt, obviously. So, if Haynes King stays in this game, maybe they win by, you know, 30. Who knows? It's harder for me to envision that because usually these teams that have this overwhelming depth, you look at like a Clemson, right? I mean, they've had guys go down and the next guy just steps up. And the big thing is, um, 
I'm not going to like, you know, put their rushing game on blast, but usually, especially from Jimbo's perspective, you got to be able to manufacture something there. It can't be, right. you know what I'm saying? It can't be three quarters having three points. Like, it's just like, you got to make it easy on your quarterback. And, and that's the thing, like we talk about how the system can make good quarter or make average quarterbacks look great. It's like, you have to adjust your game plan in that moment. You have to be like, all right, you have to like, we need to get some bubble screens going, get some like, like if, if A&M truly is this team that we said they were in the preseason, which is a team that can just pound you to death with this amazing offensive line, you got guys like Weidermeyer who should just be instant first downs. It's like, I don't know what I saw yesterday. You know, it's like, hopefully that's, any, you know, every great team will have an off game or two. I'm not saying that that's the issue. It's more of once you realize, oh crap, this is my off game, how you respond to that. And it's almost as if Jimbo was like, you know, it's almost like, I'm not gonna say it was disrespectful, but it's like he never really got into the mindset of here we are. It was like, oh, I'm just gonna keep running my offense. I'm gonna pretend like Haynes King's still here. I'm gonna pretend like this is just a regular day. It's like, no dude, you need to start like, getting a little bit more creative and getting your quarterback some confidence. Because at the end of the day, Calzada had some moments where he looked good. In the moments he looked bad, he looked real bad. And when you have a quarterback who's out there, you can't just keep putting him out there and letting him look like that. Because, you know, if Colorado's offense gets going, which like you said, credit to Mike Alco, like not taking away from that. But if their offense was able to get going and you have your quarterback floundering like that, he might not have the confidence to get those two drives back to back. So I I don't know. I, I think that... I'm not going to hold it against them. Like I said, I think that this is the moment where you kind of have the team meeting and you say, like, all right, guys, like, what's, what are our goals here? Let's talk this out. Do we, yeah. do we really want to be the best team in the SEC? Because as we talked about, you know, you had them beating Bama this year. Like, that's not – we're not backing away from that now. It's not like, oh, well, you know, just typical A&M. It's like, no, no, this is the year. Like, we need to be that team this year. There were some A&M fans who I think were watching Jimbo's play calling and – Thinking, and I was texting with, with one of them who's thinking Jimbo's got to go into this CEO type of role and kind of let the play calling duties shift because there were looks that should have been easier, I thought, with all the talent that they have on the outside, all the talent that they have in the backfield. The running game really didn't get going. It was a rough oh, yeah. day for Isaiah Spiller up until that. It, it was tough sledding. And I think that when you have somebody like Weidermeyer, you got to find other ways. And they, they, that play, it was a big third down conversion to the one that I, that, just, that I just mentioned where he kind of threaded the needle through the linebacker's hands. Mm-hmm. It was a really nice little concept to Weidermeyer. And he had like kind of, you know, he kind of faked the block, did one of those stutter step things. Then he breaks off his route and he hits him at the exact right time. But I, I agree with you. I, I think that offense was a little bit too difficult for Calzada, and you don't know how long Haynes King is going to be out. Hopefully, he's be, he's back and soon. There's some A&M fans probably also thinking Mike Elko maybe maybe a little bit more worthy of that that nine million dollars because <laughs> his defense is good. His defense is flying all over the place. It's the best defense he's had. I firmly believe that. And they they might have a couple of rough games this season. Maybe they're going to have a rough a rough game against Bama again. For all I know. But I just think that the way that they pressure you up front, they can get those coverage sacks now. And that is what's so important. And it's going to allow their defensive line to take that next step. And they're not just going to be the team that defends the run well. They're going to be the team that defends the pass well. So if you want to look at it from the positive side for AM, look at it and understand that you know last year they won the game. They won games with the, the Maroon Goons and the ground game mm-hmm. and establishing that time of possession and controlling the clock. It wasn't there on Saturday. And yet you just had to find a way to win. No excuses at this point. People are still going to call you frauds if you lose as a top five team. 
when you're favored by 16, 17 points. Real quick, and the thing that's crazy too is that when they, when they got the ball to Spiller in space on that last drive, he was nasty. <laughs> like it was like, oh, this guy's yeah. still as good as we thought it was. It, it's not a Spiller he was problem. Fresh too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely wasn't a Spiller problem. I think Jimbo needs another extension after that win. <laughs> no, we'll lay off that one. And I'm fans, uh, you, you got away with one. You got away with one and enjoy that because there are some, some tough matchups coming up in the very near future, including a matchup against a certain Arkansas team in a couple of weeks that will be very challenging with how the Hogs looked on Saturday night. The lone SEC game of Saturday, Mizzou and Kentucky. I love this game. It was great. It was so awesome to see Kroger Field rocking like that. Huge game for friends of the show. Mm -hmm. Blaze Aldridge had the blocked kick at the very end to keep that Mizzou, uh, to keep Mizzou alive down the stretch there where it looked like Kentucky was gonna go up 10. And instead Aldridge blocks the kick. And I don't know why I call him Aldridge, he's Blaze. Where Blaze blocks the kick and, uh, and, they, and they go the other way and they have a chance for a game time drive. Ultimately though, that didn't happen and Kentucky was able to, to hold on. Connor Bazelak, I thought also looked solid for the most part until he got destroyed on that play late. Will, you were texting me, Connor Bazelak did not know where he was. Yeah. That was tough, man. Ugh. That was just a ground and pound game from Kentucky on both sides. And yeah, it's like your team gets the opportunity at the end of the game to like come back, but it's like after you've been taking those hits all day and that one specifically, it's just like, ah, man, might not oh, have it right now. You got a shot. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's gonna be an oblique injury. He was limping. That's one of those where you can limp off the field and nobody's gonna question what exactly your ailment is specifically. Wanda Robinson is so fun mm. and Kentucky fans, every single time that guy touches the football, you hear the electricity in that place and you hear how exciting it is when he has a step on a receiver. The key sequence of the game, third and 12, Kentucky's up 35 to 28, 619 left. Will Levis had just gotten sacked and he was kind of having a rough night. Not exactly people eating bananas with the peel on throughout the game on Saturday night. I don't know if we got a ton of mentions of that. I think we've pivoted off that, which good, it, it had its fun. So third and 12 in that spot, you got a seven point lead. There's six minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're in your own territory. What do you do if you're Liam Cohen? In the past, Kentucky probably just runs like a QB draw, knowing that you don't really have anybody that can get 15 yards, mm -hmm. get you a chunk play but this is Liam Cohen's offense. So instead, you go five wide, empty set, it's man coverage on Wandale on the outside, and for whatever reason, I think they're playing press on him, which was a dumb idea. And instead, Will, Le Will Levis drops back and he knows that he's gonna have Robinson in, in single coverage, and don't you know it, he's got a step. Boom, fits it into a perfect window, 33 yard gain. That was on a smaller scale. And I'm gonna explain this. I'm gonna explain this because this is gonna sound like caught in the moment here. In a smaller, different way, a little bit reminiscent of 2019 LSU, Texas, the third down conversion to Justin Jefferson where mm -hmm. Burrow steps up in the pocket as he's getting hit. And that was the type of play that in the past, LSU probably just maybe a quarterback draw, maybe they run a bubble screen, maybe they try and do like, you know, a draw to Clyde edwards or something like that, because you really don't want to roll the dice, you want to just put the, put the game in the hands of your defense or something like that. But I say that and I make that comp because it's like, how much do you really trust your new offense? Are you just gonna go back to old reliable when things get kind of tight? Because things hadn't gotten tight for Kentucky yet. And Kentucky controlled that game and they led for 
two scores for most of it actually and Mizzou fought back and you've got to credit Mizzou for the way that they were able to stay in that one and have a chance at the end but Will Levis also had this kind of back-to-earth game and if you're thinking to yourself I don't know I don't know that I really trust him throwing in this spot it's been with the exception of the time that he dropped the truck stick on on our guy Blaze which Blaze is gonna have a tough time living that one down in the film room quarterback definitely got the best of him but do you really trust your passing game to make that big time play? But that's the beauty of this Kentucky team. Played kind of a sloppy game. There's a lot of things for this Kentucky team to clean up, I think. And Mark Stoops is pretty vocal about that. Had some brutal penalties and they lost the turnover battle. I mentioned the C-Rod fumbles that he had before. Fumbling on the goal line twice was so atypical for him, it felt like. I, that was that was baffling. It was almost like he was trying to deliver the blow and get it to the end zone and he and he just lost control of the football. Mizzou defenders were able to make plays on both of those. One of them, Kentucky recovered in the end zone. But why do you win this game if you're Kentucky? It's because not only do you have that ground game with C-Rod where you can turn to him and he can get you 200 on the ground and four touchdowns, you also have the home run playability with Wando. Mm-hmm. Teams aren't loading the box every single time because there is that threat. So it opens it up a little bit more for Chris Rodriguez to get some of these running lanes. And I, I, Kentucky just has balance. They have balance in ways that they haven't at any point in the Mark Stoops era. It's early, it's very early. If you're a Kentucky fan, it's no longer just, hey, we have to bully teams up front to win a game. That was a game where you saw the adjustments, you saw Liam Cohen recognize that the passing game had some chunk plays, but really wasn't there for the most part. The Mm -hmm. intermediate passing game was not particularly good, but you can make those adjustments when you have the personnel to do it. We saw that that play out throughout throughout that entire game. Um, And I, I thought it was a solid performance overall from the Kentucky offense. Will, Kentucky is the number two team in the SEC East, or does that title belong to Florida until they play? I have no idea what to make of the Florida Gators right now, man. I like we keep joking about them playing sorry teams. I AR fifteen might be hurt. I, I who knows? I I, I yeah, love we're gonna talk about AR fifteen. Yeah, I uh, just you know as a preview, but yeah, I mean, look at this game. You know, love what you see from Kentucky. We talked about it a little bit. I. You know me, man. I just I was just kind of out on last year, and like looking at this year, it's like these teams. I don't know if there's been a time I can remember that everybody was so aware, like so spatially aware of like here's what we're trying to do as a program. You know, you you hit the nail on the head with Kentucky. They came out last week. We're slinging the ball up and down the field. This week it was uh, 49 rushing attempts. And how about your guy, C Rod? Man, you know he had those couple fumbles. Um, but are you still feeling good about you know first second team SEC C Rod? I feel real solid about that. Anybody that watches C-Rod, if you, if you have C-Rod on your team, you feel so confident. Oh yeah. Like if you, if you have gambling interest or something like that and, and he gets a handoff, you're like, all right, this is four yards automatic. And then he's probably gonna be able to get some more because he doesn't ever have negative plays. He had five negative plays all of last year. Oh wow. He's always falling forward. He doesn't get blown up in the backfield. He delivers the blow after he had that that first fumble he had this oh my gosh this 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 hit on the sideline where he had like 25 yards and ahead of steam and this poor mizzou defender had to kind of do the task of cutting him off and and meeting him at the angle and he had this like helmet popping 
smash. And it was after the fumble, so it was almost like he was letting out a little bit of that aggression there. And both Lauren and I watching this, like, audibly gasp. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh! I mean, he delivers the blow so much. And if you're doubting him for first team All-SEC running back, it's probably just because he haven't watched him play a lot. Oh, so we're going, okay. He's special. No, he's special. And he's even different than, than Benny. And I'm not saying that he's a better overall player than Benny Snell. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But you watch some of the things that he does and the versatility, the ability to play within this system where I think Benny Snell would have been good in this system as well. And I think Liam Cohen would have found a way. But I look at some of the runs that he has off tackle, that C-Rod has off tackle, and the way that he explodes at the second level. He's not going to end up career-wise with the same numbers that Benny did because Benny started as a as a true freshman. But man, I just I can't say enough good things about him. He even had a passing, uh, he hit a receiving touchdown in this game to start off where he was wide open and yep. a great play call by Cohen. But I, yeah, I was really impressed. I was really impressed. Yeah, like going into this, Might one, we talked about. Sorry, what's up? No, I was going to say, might have to get a Kentucky guest on this week. Ooh. We'll see. Um, yeah, we, we went into this game talking about the QBs, and it's like, you know, Connor with uh, two ends and an O showed up, our boy. Uh, That's right. And, and, you know, I mean, I think it's fair to say he outplayed Will Levis, and I, I think pretty pretty significantly. But, again, going into the week, it's like, oh, you know, maybe this is this new Kentucky offense just going to sling the ball up and down the field. No, they went back to what they do, and that's how they won this dirty, nasty game. They had a stop on third down where they just had this unit on the D-line, just swallow Mizzou, and I was like, man, this is the this is the Mark Stoops football I want to watch, man. Here's J.J. Weaver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weaver on that play. That, that felt very Kentucky-esque. I agree with you. I agree. And Tyler Beatty's special, too. I I didn't give Tyler Beatty enough love in the preseason. I can't believe that he has had the volume that he's had to start off the year. If we're going to talk about one thing with Mizzou, Tyler Beatty is an all-SEC caliber player. And the things that he's doing, replacing Larry Roundtree, he's not going to get enough credit for it nationally. But that guy runs so unbelievably hard, and he can do anything that you ask of him. And I think as long as he is healthy, he's such a weapon for Eli Drinkowitz. So glad to see that he was able to, to get going. Fun football game, though. Really fun football oh, yeah. game overall. Let's do one thing I like to go through the rest of the SEC games. Let's start off with a game that I uh, don't know if there was a ton to like. Pitt, Tennessee. One, one thing I liked was that Hendon Hooker played football. And we did not have to watch four quarters of Joe Milton overthrows. The thing you like was a QB injury, and that pretty much sums up this one. Well, yeah. Okay, fair. If you watch the first 10 minutes of this game, you were probably just scratching your head thinking, I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback overthrow wide open guys so much so soon. Heupel drew up six deep shots in the first nine minutes of this game. And it was different than in Bowling Green where I think they took maybe like four downfield and he sort of recognized, all right, you know, not really there. It, it, within the flow of the play. It wasn't like he was just running four verts every single time or something like that. Whereas this game, he said, no, we're gonna try and test Pitt deep. We're gonna see if Joe Milton can truly stretch the field for us and maybe that's gonna allow us to establish the run a little bit later. Joe Milton couldn't connect on any, any. Every single time he'd be like, oh my God, Tennessee receivers got two steps on him. Oh, Joe Milton's overthrown him by five yards. There were at least three of these throws where he had an open guy and he just missed. And there was a smattering of boos that came down. It was bad. And then early in the second half, he had this play where he got sacked, he got he fumbles it, and then he gets hurt, he goes to the locker room. And I'm not saying I'm not like let the record show. I'm not rooting for an injury or anything like that. But I was just I'm just messing with you. I was relieved for, no, I, well, I because I, I sound very anti-Joe Milton because honestly I am. And I don't think he's the guy. I just don't. 
and I'll, I'll be very vocal about that. He, he's not the guy. And if you still right. think he's the guy, you're just looking at the 6'5", 245 pound guy who can throw the ball out of the stadium like it's a vortex, all right? Like that's that's what you're looking at if you think Joe Milton's the guy. Listen, Connor's Henry wearing Hooker. a Chicago Bears shirt right now. He knows when a QB is not that guy. <laughs> no, trust me. If there's anybody who knows what a bad quarterback looks like, it's me. You're, you're looking at it. Had a lifetime of experience, not to brag or anything, but you get so excited because you see the arm and you see the the 54 yard run that Milton had in this game. You're like, oh, he can just take off and he can do so many things. But then Hendon Hooker comes in, and the offense gets moving. And it looks like not just within the scripted plays, but the improvised plays as well. Hendon Hooker handles that better when things break down. I liked a lot of the things he did. He had more touch on his passes. What a crazy concept. Gets the tight end involved and he throws those bubble screens. And Milton actually did a pretty good job of that in the intermediate game for the most part. But there was this one play where Hooker was scrambling on third and 16. And well, you're a big NBA guy. Okay. You know when uh, a big, you know, it was almost like he like crossed over a guy and he did this little head fake and he totally faked out the pit defender mm -hmm. and he picks up the first down with his legs. And you're like, that's a, that's a nice element to have in your, in your offense. And Hedden Hooker is a prolific runner. He was one of the best running quarterbacks in all of college football last year when he was at Virginia Tech. But then of course the game ends with him telegraphing a throw and it's a pit interception. He had the better day though, and he has to be the guy, I, whether Milton is healthy or not. I, I, I thought he, that, that Hooker was going to be the guy initially, and then he started to hear all those reports during fall camp of like, Joe Milton's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this. Clearly though, you can do practice, you can do all that simulation stuff. When it comes to the actual game, guy just doesn't know how to calm it down. He's got too much juice. That fastball is, <laughs> I, I, you, you can watch it at Michigan, you can watch it at Tennessee, doesn't matter what uniform, what system he's playing in. He just doesn't have that touch. You gotta have touch as quarterback. Mm -hmm. I felt bad actually for the Tennessee defense in this one. Oh, one last stat on Joe Milton. And oh if boy. you're still thinking that you wanna see him. After those first two drives against Bowling Green, where he looked really good and the offense was fun and it was flowing and it was within the script. Since that, Joe Milton has averaged 4.7 yards per attempt. Not great. Not great. 4.7 yards per attempt is not going to get it done. It's just not. I felt bad for the Tennessee defense in this one because I, I thought Tyler Barron and, and company really looked good. I mean, they, I thought that they played better than what the final score indicated. And Tim Banks, I, I thought that he was going to have the worst defense in the SEC coming into this year. I think they're actually going to be able to do some things, but they were put in some really tough spots. And now Heupel, subject to some criticism. He had the, the, the play where he didn't review the third down spot that it looked like Tennessee really got it. And then that leads to running a shotgun play on fourth and one that Hendon Hooker and company can't convert. And Tennessee fans were frustrated because that felt like a very winnable game. It felt like they left points on the field when you combine that and the Milton overthrows. That was a winnable game that Tennessee let slip away. And when you're fighting, scratching, clawing, you know that SEC play is gonna get more difficult. That was one that you wanted to have in your back pocket, did not have it. I'll say real quick on that one. We talked about this going into this one. Our key to the game was the run game. Uh, man. Tennessee uh, had 19 carries between the running backs. You want to guess uh, how many yards per carry the running backs averaged? Okay, so one disclaimer, without Tyon Evans in this game, and then they, they lost Jabari Small too, I think it was a shoulder injury during the game. So they, they were banged up in that department, but- Sure. All right, so it was 19. 
So, so say that. Say that again. So they had 19 carries. The running backs. How many yards per the carry they average? It wasn't a lot. Um, I'm going to say they averaged 1.5 yards per carry. Wow, you almost hit the nail on the head. 1.7. Um, okay. I knew it was bad. Yeah. So yeah, that's. To me, that's the game. Like the QB thing is obviously, like you said, I think they upgraded. I think they got lucky, and I, you always hate to see that when a guy goes down. But it probably would be a little bit worse if they didn't get to make a QB switch. Um, you just got to do a little bit better than that. I, I think that you, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It's basically running that. That right there is the Josh Heupel experience. You know, it's fourth and goal. You're running a draw play. <laughs> it's like just getting blown up in the backfield. So hopefully they can kind of adjust off of that. But we talked about the run game coming into this one and. I don't, I mean, you're right, there are lots of disclaimers we can put on that, but this is about as bad of a case as it could have been in a situation where if it was average, they're right there. Despite everything that happened, this is a very winnable game, and you just got to kind of like think about how you do your scheming and think about how that pit D line just ate you up. Joe Milton is always going to have that, oh wait, he can throw it a country mile, and that throw that he had where Jalen Hyatt got hurt was actually his best deep throw of the day. And you're always maybe going to think to yourself, I can draw up a, a, a 70-yard pass <laughs> and we can see if we can really stretch the field and just get it all in one play. And as long as he's out there, you're going to think that if you're Josh Heupel, you're going to have a chance when in reality, he doesn't have a chance of completing them. So I don't want to hear about the arm talent, about how much better it is than Hendon Hooker. If you're not completing them, who cares? Mm -hmm. You guys don't even have a chance to run under these things. It's not like he's leaving them short and they have a, a chance to go make a play. At least Hendon Hooker can be on target. He's not a particularly good downfield passer. He's, he has his moments, but I'd rather have that. And I'd rather just try and move the chains and, and trust that your tempo and your ground game is going to be able to get going. All right. Speaking of quarterbacks <laughs> who we didn't necessarily expect to see on Saturday, um, UAB in Georgia. Number two, Georgia. The one thing I liked, this was the ultimate don't shoot, don't shoot, nice shot. <laughs> yes, I love that. That was Stetson Bennett, the fourth, starting and then dominating on Saturday. I was floored by the way that this played out. And I'm sure Georgia fans were also of that mindset because right after we recorded on Wednesday, of course, we found out about the JT Daniels injury and that he was dealing with an oblique. And then later in the week on Friday, it turns into, well, it's looking like it's going to be Carson Beck time. And on Friday night, I talked to someone who told me pretty confidently it, this, this person had a connection with somebody who's been in Georgia practices that he thought Stetson Bennett the fourth was going to start. And I kind of listened to that. And this, this person told me, you know, he's been splitting reps with Carson Beck in, 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 in practice all week with the ones. And I was like, wait, what? Would Kirby really do that? Would he really do that? Because Carson Beck was the backup. He was the number two. Talked about back in the spring about how good he looked and how he was ready to step into that role. It's a spring game. Take it for what it is. But then sure enough, Kirby goes back to the mailman. Go back and look at the Seth Emerson tweet that announced <laughs> that Stetson Bennett was going to be starting. Yikes. Imagine being Carson Beck, though. You thought you had the number two job. You fended off the five-star true freshman Brock Vandegrift. And then Kirby says, you know what? We're going to give the mailman the rock in this scenario. I mean, 
We, we said on this podcast, <laughs> well, we were talking about the Zeb Nolan thing and about how it was a fun one week story and we kind of hoped it would fade off and it can just kind of live in its own, you know, one week window and about how the Stetson Bennett story ended in such a frustrating way. And he was kind of exposed in that, in that Florida game, of course. And then don't you know it, Stetson Bennett was brilliant. <laughs> he was so good. Four of his first five passes were touchdowns. He had five touchdowns by halftime, which tied a program record. Georgia did everything that it promised in the passing game. Brock Bowers, by the way, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna shout out Mike Griffith every single time I mention Brock Bowers because I was sleeping on that one in the preseason. I'll admit that. There was this great play call by Todd Munkin where you had you fake a pitch to James Cook and it was, it was almost like they were gonna do it on the short side of the field. And so you get the linebackers looking at Cook and instead Bowers takes off, I think he was lined up in line, I wanna say. He takes off on this like wheel route down the right sideline and it's beautiful. It's a coverage bust. He's got nothing but green grass ahead of him and he beats the safety who had an angle, a tight end. And it was like an 89 yard touchdown for a tight end. I mean, he gets up to, I think they said it, he gets up to like 21 miles per hour in practice. And I truly believe that because that guy can fly. And I, I don't know what it's gonna look like when they get Darnell Washington back because Bowers is ready. I mean, that, that guy looks the part. It's also from Napa, which that's not fair. That guy got to grow up in Napa. Was there over the summer? Come on, man. That's, that's straight out of a postcard. You shouldn't be allowed to be that good at football and also get to live your life in Napa. Just pick one or the other. Quarterback controversy though? <laughs> no. Sorry, RG3. No, come on. JT Daniels, I assume, will be back next week with South Carolina. I assume, but then again, if you had told me that, Car that Carson Beck wouldn't start and that Stetson Bennett would, I would have laughed you out of the room. I saw some Georgia fans saying some, some pretty bold things uh, about what they would do if Stetson Bennett was the starter in this one. And, and uh, here let's you are. just say, I think they were pleasantly surprised. Here we are. He was great. UAB didn't have a chance. I love the, the zoom in on you, like, you know, thinking about months ago, it's just zoom in. Don't you know it? Stetson Bennett started. <laughs> It's like if you told me that Stetson Barnett, Stetson Bennett was going to be starting in week two of this season. I said, oh, no, not like this, Georgia. It's one not of those like, like you're probably wondering how I got there memes. It's like, yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, hopefully, like, I, I hate to say it, but it's very nice to have a backup QB who has lots of SEC starting experience. Like, good for them. He, he balled out. No hate towards him. It's just here we go again, Kirby. You know when you watch a TV show and they'll do the, it's almost like a spoiler intro mm -hmm. where how did, how did we get here? Right. And you, you just, you see Stetson Bennett with the mop top and the curly hair and he's just smiling. He's just nodding his head. Week two of the 2021 season for Georgia, Stetson Bennett announces the starter and he's just like, yeah, let's go. I were just 24 yards for a Everything, everything he did was just perfect. He was throwing into some wide open guys, some great play calls as well. And Georgia receivers got some separation. Good for Arian Smith getting involved in that way as well. Jermaine Burton had the play from the jump, but did exactly what you wanted to do. And that Georgia defense had the pick six. Had, so they had a pick six and then Georgia allowed a pick six. So technically Georgia still has not allowed a touchdown on the defensive side of the ball. They have South Carolina next week and they have Vandy the week after that might take until October for Georgia's defense to allow a touchdown, at least an offensive touchdown. Let's stay within the SEC East. 
Speaking of quarterback controversies, oh man. Number 13, Florida. Oh man, oh man. USF. We've been waiting. You know the one thing I liked. It said Anthony Richardson got to set the internet ablaze. In two short weeks, we went from, I can't wait to see Emory Jones in his first start. Good for this kid. He waited three years, did it the old fashioned way to, wow, I cannot believe that Dan Mullen refuses to start AR-15. Right. That's all it took. Two weeks. Emory had some rough moments in this one. And he, he did some good things. He did some good things. He had a really nice ball that he threw. I think it was, I think it was the Copeland. Was it the Copeland that one that he had on the left side where he just dropped it in a bucket, kind of stood tall on the pocket, hung tough, had a nice, nice play where he took off with his legs, got in for a nice long touchdown run. But he still makes these reads that'll kill you if you're trying to do what Florida's doing. And that's the problem. Against lesser competition, when things should be slow for you, and he makes these predetermined reads where he's thrown into quadruple coverage in the end zone, and you're just like, you, you can't still be doing this. You just can't, especially when you're at when you're understudy, your backup is doing the things that he is doing. Because once again, holy cow, it was unbelievable. How can you not want to see more of AR-15? And I'm not just talking about watching him do his best Suni Lee Simone Biles imitation with the pregame floor routine with a helmet on. That's a 240-pound man doing that. He's a space like alien, bro. He's not a human being. He's, he's incredible. Cole had this, this great stat, Cole Kubelik, our, our good buddy at SEC Network. Anthony Richardson is the first player in FBS in the last 25 seasons to, in one game, rush for 100 yards, pass for 150 yards, and complete every pass he threw. He graded out with a 98.8 on PFF, which is next to impossible. Right next to the player they said would go first overall, wow. No, I don't think Mike Renner said that. Shout out to our guy, Mike Renner. Hey, I don't to think do he the said they thing. You're right. I'm overall. smarter than that. But there were lots of lots of graphics that were published. I'll just say it that way. Most recent mock draft on PFF, number one overall pick, Malik Willis, baby. Yes, Let's sir. Let's go. Even better. Still couldn't believe that. Anyways, nobody's saying that Emery's a scrub. Dan Mullen's also going to stick with him. And I think that there's this stubbornness that's going to be there because he, again, as I said last week, he wants to see this work. He wants to see the guy that he developed for three years have a chance to win the starting job because right now it's all good with AR-15. Life is, life is can't, cannot be better with him. He is in that perfect zone where you can't get enough of him. Every time he steps onto the field, I just assume it's a touchdown. I assume he's gonna break off for an 80 yard run, or I assume he's gonna have Jacob Copeland streaking over the middle and he's gonna hit him for a long touchdown. That's just every single time. But understand the dynamics here if you're a Florida fan and why this is gonna take a little bit of time because you're dealing with a coach who is very stubborn and you see the way that Mullen celebrates when Emory scores. And I'm not saying that he celebrates less when Anthony Richardson scores, but I am kind of saying that actually. You know what, I am saying that. He really wants this to, to have, he wants to have this dynamic. And how will that play out against Bama? I, I don't know, because you gotta play him more than the seven plays that he got, the seven touches. Like, if you're trying to hide him, if you're Mullen in that game, which that's what we talked about, right? Like, that's what you said. Yeah. Give him, give him his few reps, you know, make sure that he's still 
understanding the offense, and these are important for him. What are you supposed to do when he has three passes, they're all complete, they go for 152 yards and two TDs, and then he has four runs that go for 115 yards? The guy's averaging 23 yards a touch right now. Like this, <laughs> this type of thing doesn't happen even against just lesser competition, which USF is. USF is sorry, we yes, know sir. that. But this is a legitimate controversy. And it's not just some, some narrative, and, and we're gonna see how this plays out. And I hope, I really hope that Richardson is healthy and that hamstring injury that he had late isn't going to sideline him against Bama because I wanna see what that Bama front can do against Anthony Richardson. I really do. And I think that matchup, that could be, that could be one, one that's very memorable. And I don't know how Bama defends him because the guy's done everything that you've asked of him. And he gives them more options right now than what Emory Jones does, who is limited. And if you do these predetermined read stuff against Bama, it's not gonna end well. Will, tell me that AR-15 is your favorite player in all of college football right now. Oh, I love him so much. I mean, and yeah, you, you alluded to this earlier, but it's like, we talked about this in the, in the you know, preparation show. And I was like, yeah, can't give him too many touches, man. Gonna make him really look bad. Like you said, was it seven touches for 267 yards? And like, it's insane. I don't, you know, man, I can't stress to you enough how bad USF is. I just can't, they're terrible. The fact that Emory Jones looked- They cover though. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that Emory Jones looked like bad against them is like not good. Like it's, they're one of, I mean, I'd say the worst five or 10 teams in Division One football. There's certainly, I feel like, some FCS teams that could beat USF. Um, so, I, yeah, I, this is, this is despite Mullen doing exactly what I hoped he would and just kind of trying to give Emory that confidence, like, after a game like this, it's like, all right, well, they got Bama, like you said. It's going to be very interesting, especially coming out of this game, because I feel like they found a way to kind of feed Emory all of the love, and he still didn't really do much with it. So we'll see. We'll see. We're going to have a lot of Bama, Florida talk this week. Mm -hmm. Going to have our good buddy Chris Doring join us as well. Let's talk about that Bama game because not a whole lot of takeaways, but the one thing I liked, Saban's mood. <laughs> and one of the takeaways was at least uh, Will Anderson going down. Hopefully Will Anderson's going to be all right. Kind of chip block, you want to call it a chop block, cut block. Ugly play. Hope that the, the Jack linebacker for Alabama is, is good to go and it's not anything too, too serious like Chris Allen. But yes, Saban's move. Saban is already in midseason form. He flipped out midweek for playing one half of football against Miami, flipped out mid-game on the defense, and then he flipped out afterwards in the post-game presser. He said, if they don't wake up and shake themselves, they'll get shook. Love that. Okay. Love that quote would love to have that just hanging up right here in the office on one of those one of those things one of those pieces that you would walk into michael's and get just have that hanging right here if they don't wake up and shake themselves they'll get shook i don't know who that would be referring to or why that would i would have that in my office but just too good of a quote not to display that somewhere prominently in saban's defense alabama needed a punt block to get its first score of the game and that was a full eight minutes in Alabama's usually up 14-0 by the time that you flip on the game. So kind of slow start for Alabama by their standards. I, I do just think that this is a bit of posturing by Saban and understanding that 
he has the most difficult first half schedule that he has had during his time at Alabama. I think it's more difficult than 2010 when everybody talked about how Alabama had three ranked opponents in a row and they ran out of gas against South Carolina, the famous Steven Garcia game. Alabama's next four weeks, look at this. You're at Florida, then Southern Miss at home, then you have Ole Miss at home, and then you're at Texas A&M. That right there, I'm, I don't want to. I don't know what a, what uh, Ole Miss is going to be in the rankings, but could potentially be three top fifteen teams in a four week stretch. Two of which in true road atmospheres. Alabama doesn't have that margin for error. They 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 absolutely are are a team right now that I think. Well, if you get to the SEC championship with one loss, then of course you have a little bit of margin for error. But with that schedule, if you are a bit too high on yourself, you can get beat in one of those games. I predicted before the season that I thought AM was going to win that game. Still, how you still feel? How you feel? How you feel? If, if, if Zach calls out a start in that game, there's no way I'm picking AM to win that. But I think that you see the opportunities to get tripped up there. Saban already experienced 60 minutes against Lane with Ole Miss last year, and he's looking ahead. He's always looking ahead. But this is a really difficult schedule coming up. And if Alabama isn't totally on top of it from the jump, maybe they can get beat. Maybe they can. Then again, that's what we said going into the Miami game. That didn't happen. One thing I liked from NC State, Mississippi State. Zach Arnett's secondary. Really, really good. So Mississippi State wins this game, as, as we said, kind of defied logic of what we were talking about going in, where I just kind of blindly picked Mississippi State to win, despite all the factors I laid out about being kind of worried that, that NC State was going to have this one-two punch at running back. They were going to keep Mississippi State on the field. It was going to be a game that the Bulldogs were trailing, and then it was going to get kind of ugly. And I just kind of blindly said, you know what? No, I think Mississippi State's just going to show up. They're going to win. They're going to cover. Something I forgot to mention pregame. Tim Beck is NC State's offensive coordinator. It will never not amaze me that Tim Beck continues to get jobs. I used to cover Tim Beck back when I was uh, at Nebraska and he was Bo Pelini's offensive coordinator. Nice guy, super nice guy. Not gonna hate on an adult who wears braces or anything like that, but it always kind of throw me off a little bit. And he always kind of came off a little bit more sincere, a little bit more genuine in a weird way. Tim Beck was part of that Bo Pelini staff that was fired. So somehow he fails up and goes to Ohio State and becomes the offensive coordinator there. And after two years of being there, oh, it gets weirder, 25-2016, Ohio State fans are so frustrated with the lack of development in the offense and they get rid of Tim Beck. And then he gets to be the offensive coordinator with Tom Herman at Texas, somehow, some way. That doesn't work either. By the end of three years there, Tom Hurtman decides, we're gonna demote you to quarterbacks coach because you really don't have a feel on this offense thing, even though Tom Hurtman was pretty much handling the offense. So instead he says, nah, I'll just go to NC State instead. And I'll give him credit, the Wolfpack had a decent offense, top 50 offense last year. But watching this game, I'm like, yep, Tim Beck is still Tim Beck. He does baffling things like challenge an elite Mississippi State secondary repeatedly. I don't know if he got some bad intel or whatever, but the game, and maybe game flow is, is part of this because I get it, NC State trailed throughout and Mississippi State returning the opening kick for a touchdown and so they were playing from behind, but it wasn't like it was some you know four score deficit for the entire time. But NC State gets away from the ground game and instead they decide, you know what we're gonna do? We think we have an advantage on the outside against Mississippi State secondary. Terrible idea. 
Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes are elite. They, that is one of the best cornerback duos in all of college football. Somebody needs to get Tim Beck a PFF subscription because clearly he did not see how good those two are. I, I, I thought that, that Emerson was all over the place, but Tim Beck's game plan was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And Mississippi State's offense wasn't great. It really wasn't. I mean, they kind of struggled. They had a late touchdown. I didn't think that it was necessarily a banner day for the year two bump for Leach. But the difference is Zach Garnett's defense and a bad offensive game plan for NC State that clearly did not work. They threw the ball as many times as Mississippi State did. What? Why would you do that? That just did not make any sense to me. Um, yeah, Tim Beck was the great equalizer in picking this game, who many people said, how in the world is Mississippi State going to beat a power five team? Tim Beck. Tim Beck is how. Shout out. Ugly. Uh, ugly. 335 versus Tim Beck. It's going to be a blowout every single time. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be real with you. Didn't know this guy existed. Tim Beck. I, apparently, like you said, he's been a crucial part of every bad offense I've ever watched. So more power to every, him. But wow. Every disappointing, every disappointing offense at a major program in the last seven, eight years, Tim Beck has, has had his hand on. I'm just it's amazing. Th- I'm just thrilled Coach O hasn't hired him because he seems like he must have been in that next list. <laughs> I don't know who Tim Beck knows, but yeah, maybe it's just the fact, like what I said, he's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. I just don't think he has a clue offensively. Maybe he's like, All you right. got to watch Ted Lasso. Maybe he makes really good cookies. And they're just like, we got to have this guy around. He brings something to the table. <laughs> anyway. I, you need an elite cookie person on staff. If you got enough staff positions, make sure that Tim Beck is, is doing something for you. South Carolina, East Carolina, the one thing I liked, South Carolina had some fight. This game last year, South Carolina loses. Maybe they're not down 14 to nothing to East Carolina. Um, speaking of great plays to start off the game, ECU ran this, this like halfback, has halfback pass to start off, little handoff and a bomb to start off the game, touchdown. They were not messing around. Seven to nothing, just like that. And a crowd that um, wasn't full, definitely was not full or anywhere close to it, but was very excited to see um, a lead like that on the in-state team. South Carolina had to find a way to rally late. And it was sort of like Mississippi State last week, where it had to be on both sides of the ball. It wasn't just one side taking over. Nobody cared if South Carolina had a grad assistant in, in the game. There was, there, there was nobody that was going to give South Carolina the benefit of the doubt if they had lost that game to a team that hasn't had a winning record since 2014 from, you know, from the American. So I, I think that Beamer deserves a lot of credit because I was wondering how he was going to handle quarterback battles, just in general. Because if you've never been an offensive coordinator, if you've never been a head coach, that is something that you need to see. And it's a really difficult thing. And Will Muschamp showed us time and time again that you can mess up quarterback battles in a variety of ways. <laughs> but Shane Beamer ha- is 2-0, having been without his starting quarterback for both games. And I truly think that the previous regime would not have been able to pull off a win like that. Zeb Nolan gets the start. Somewhat surprisingly, because Luke Doty was available to the media. He's going through pregame warmups. You think he's going to be all right. Zeb Nolan gets, gets the rock, and he had some rough throws in this game. Some of those reads were just not there. He had one throw that it was, it was like a throw that, that I would have. Oh, no. Where you've got a receiver who's just planted eight yards, just eight yards. And I think he missed him by six yards to his left. Maybe he thought he was running a different route, but it didn't really look like it because he had kind of started his throwing motion when he stopped. 
Anyways, it was a really bad play. There were some ugly moments for him. And I have to think that he, Shane Beamer, at least contemplated, do I need to bring in Dak Joyner right now? Do I need to kind of turn to somebody else? Because if Doty wasn't playing, Doty's not healthy yet, and he's not fully right, and they're still waiting on that foot to be at 100%. But instead, he leaves Dak Joyner at receiver, where he's been practicing, where he's been going through most of his reps, and you get this huge game-time touchdown where he catches this leaping, diving play in the back of the end zone. Nice little touch throw from Zeb Nolan. And you give yourself a chance. And the running game gets going late. The running game was not good for most of the day. It was kind of surprising how much they struggled up front. Maybe that's because ECU was loading the box a little bit more. I don't know. But um, it it was ugly. South Carolina had to win ugly. And Parker White, the super senior, drills the game winning kick. Beamer was fired up, man. Happy for that guy. Really, really happy for that guy. It was awesome to see. And he knows his team has a long way to go. And I don't know if they're going to get to a bowl game this year or, or how rough SEC play is going to be on them. They've got Georgia coming up. It's, it's going to get a lot more difficult in week three. We know that for sure. We talk about it a lot, though. We already talked about it at the top with Pittman. Does your team want to play for you? Mm-hmm. I think in this era of college football, that matters. It really does. It's all the rage at Arkansas right now. Everybody can get behind Sam Pittman. I think in South Carolina, everybody's starting to get behind Shane Beamer. If they were on the fence a little bit before, they were kind of wait and see mode, you're seeing the identity of this team and you're at least establishing a foundation. Yeah, it's East Carolina, again, but a really, really nice showing when they were down and had their backs against the ropes on the road in unfamiliar territory. Austin P against Ole Miss, not a whole lot from this game. Did, did not get to, t- to catch a lot of this game. I'll be 100% honest with you. Um, so the one thing I liked was that, as far as I could tell, there were no major injury, injuries after short rest. Was wondering about how that was going to be with the old Miss defense being physical, playing the way that they did on a Monday night. Probably a really light week in practice. Not sure they did a whole lot. Inferior opponent or not, you'd still worry about a non-contact sort of deal. Jerry and Ely, who always kind of seems banged up very light workload in this game. He had as many carries for as John Rice Plumley, who we got to see a little bit more. Matt Corral gets to pad the stats a little bit, gets his five touchdown passes. After in the opener, he only actually only he only had one touchdown pass. So kind of good for him to get back on that track if that's something that he's gonna make a legitimate push for. The Ole Miss defense has depth. And it really looks different than last year when you see some of the plays that they're making. They're a lot more aggressive. They're, they're going to, to to push the issue. They got flagged for pass interference four times in this game. Good. And that was a week after. They got flagged a bunch. They got targeting penalties. But I think you kind of want to see that, right? Yeah. You, you would rather see that than guys running free downfield. But mindful that Tulane is coming up next week. Best team in Louisiana. Ask Oklahoma. Best team in Louisiana, many are saying. People forget. Many are saying. They're legit. You don't want to mess with, with Tulane in those uniforms, especially. Tulane better be wearing those good uniforms. They don't have bad uniforms. Not. No, they, they had bad uniforms like three or four years ago. And then they switched them. Yeah. The ones that, the baby blues with the, that logo mm-hmm. that's just, um, our friends at home field have been all over that. That, that logo is incredible. It's like if you if you just love college football and you don't want to necessarily show your bias, you can wear that logo out and not have any sort of issue whatsoever. Like journalists in this field wear a bunch of Tulane stuff because of how great that logo is. Mm-hmm. Can't say I blame them. Alabama State 
against Auburn, the one thing I liked, we got more Jarcos Hunter dominance. I said I was worried about tanking this one. Didn't want to see Auburn have to rely on him. The problem for Auburn, though, and why Tank, I think, got at least the work that he did. He got 11 carries in this game. Sean Shivers was unavailable. Mm -hmm. And that running back room was thin to begin with. So while I don't think Brian Harson would have made this move even if Sean Shivers had been out there, I get more so now why Tank couldn't just show up in sweats. I'm not going to sit here and beat up Harson for giving Tank 11 carries in this game. He was still really, really good. They couldn't tackle him. But the good news is that Hunter looks like a stud. Mm -hmm. He went 94 yards untouched on this run. You see the sprinting ability. That's what he was in high school. Longest touchdown run in Auburn history. How about that? That's second career game. And he has consecutive 100-yard games to start off his career. He did most of his damage last week and this week when Tank left. Tank's last carry was the first series of the third quarter, which is good. You need someone who you feel comfortable with who can kind of put a game away because Sean Shivers just isn't that guy, not to take anything away from him, um, but I just don't necessarily think he's at that level. He's not a guy that you're gonna feel really comfortable with being like, all right, get three, four carries in a row for us. That's just not what he's wired to do. Not often that you see a three-star kid enroll in summer at a place like Auburn and then get off to a start like the one Jarquez Hunter is off to. Really, really good. He could be that home run play threat moving forward, not in garbage time. So that would be great because Auburn, you're gonna have to have these series where you, you just need to give Tank a break with the beating that that guy's gonna take and some of these long drives that they're gonna have. You need a home run play threat and it looks like Hunter is capable of being that. I'm looking forward to Auburn's first real game of the season. College game day is gonna be in the house in Happy Valley for that one up at Penn State. Maybe the game of the week. Maybe the game of the week. Um, no, I don't want to definitively say that. We'll circle back on that. We'll circle back. Florida, now Florida, Alabama. Alabama, Florida, I should say, is, in my opinion, still game of the week, probably. Sorry, Auburn. I think Penn State, Auburn's going to be closer. Closer than what the experts say or closer than Florida, Alabama? Closer than Florida, Alabama. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, you know what? I don't want to definitively say that. Penn State's offense has some issues. They definitely do. They've actually beat a really good Ball State team over the weekend. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that. Auburn just quietly looks like, like just a dying to They played, obviously, no one, but these last two weeks are like, sure, man. If you're an Auburn fan, you're just having the happiest little start to your season. We'll see next week. We'll see. Uh, everything we're going to see, we're going to learn a lot about Auburn over the course of these next four weeks. McNeese. And LSU. The one thing I liked, um, oh, this is tough. The defense didn't get totally dominated by Cody Ogeron, so that was good. Defensive line, nice bounce back week. Needed to see that. Ed Ogeron's son, of course, Cody, did get his touchdown pass. Really not much else. The one thing I didn't like, sorry, this is supposed to be a positive segment, but I can't help it with LSU sometimes. The one thing I didn't like, Will, um, LSU's offensive line, I think it's sorry. I think it's real sorry. They don't get any push, man. They just don't. They finish with three and a half yards of carry. I feel like I started slandering bad. them like last year. And it's like, I just keep getting like a row closer and yelling a little bit louder. It's like, you guys are grown men, dog. Like they had two starters missing, but it's like, get something, that's man. True. That's McNeese State. Like, happen. like it's, it's hard to, especially like, you know, 
whatever. I've watched a bunch of one-dimensional LSU teams. It's really hard to have one unit implode your whole team. This LSU offensive line is looking like it could be one of the first, and their linebackers aren't far behind them. But yeah, I, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, how do you, how do you get to this point? Like, there's like that grad transfer, Liam Shanahan, who's like, he's, he's a man, he's thirty. Like, how do you? I don't know. Yeah, it's just they're bad. They're really bad. Hopefully, you know, the backs got healthy, and we saw a little bit of a run game against McNeese. That, ooh, Auburn's out here running for you know seven hundred yards, and she was like, we got a guy at fifty. Like, let's go. It's so weird though, because you don't see those those chunk plays ever. They didn't have a run more than I think twenty two or twenty three yards in this game. And it looks like Max Johnson is not getting a lot of time to throw. And the way that he has struggled against pressure this year, that's not good. That's just not. And I thought that we were going to see LSU come back a little bit pissed off. That offensive line had an entire week of headlines saying, y'all aren't ready. This is not the LSU that we've come to know. And they showed up like that? Ugh. I don't see how that gets better. And I don't know how that gets cleaned up. Do you start trying to rotate guys? Because then it throws off some of the continuity. And we talk about how important that can be. And the, the teams that are that are veterans, that, that know their role, and they can stay in the same spot, they stay healthy all year. Those are the teams that are set up best for success. I'm still just surprised that it's so bad. I, I just kind of can't believe it. Central Michigan is coming up, so you still got a little bit of time to figure it out, kind of. But... I didn't really watch that game and think LSU is has turned the page, so to speak. Oh yeah, every and, uh, it, it was on that, like you know I had to get it off some wild service, but I was like every time I flipped it over, I was just like, ESPN Plus. I was just like I, I was like I, I put it on for like five seconds. You're like my night's going too well. I just can't do this. It's like because it's like one of those games where it's like your team's winning, like thankfully I guess, but everybody you watch is just like. Okay, like yeah, it's it, it goes back to everything. It's like almost every problem, even all the way going back to last year on offense, is just this line is bad. Even our boy uh, JT Finley, we talked. You had that great stat about JT, JT Finley last yeah. year with a clean pocket was a great quarterback. Well, guess what? LSU, you're just not gonna ever see a clean pocket. So, however you are when you're under duress, that's what you're gonna be. And Max Johnson so far has not been very good under duress, and it's sad. It's really sad because you see defensive coordinators like, oh, this guy's food this guy's lunch we can get after him and every play is just dot 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 so hopefully the game planning changes that's one thing that i saw from the second from the first to the second half of the ucla game is we talked about with um the haynes king switch at a m it's like at least they kind of realize like we got to help this dude out a little bit so maybe that can improve but no like i'm about to i'm about to just start sending uh, brad davis a bunch of gym picks i feel like i could do those guys jobs right now there's bad dude it's rough. I don't want to see the PFF grades on that offensive line. They can't be very good after two weeks. Yikes. They couldn't get an LSU with those PFF grades. <laughs> anyway. Let's see what you did there. Vandy, Colorado State, the one everybody's been waiting on. I'm just going to say this every single time for Vandy. The one thing I liked, Vandy won a football game. Joseph Bulovus, I think that's how you pronounce his name, the Alabama transfer kicker. Nailed the game winner in the final seconds. Vandy rallies against Colorado State. Good for Vandy. You get some good moments with Ken Seals. Ken Seals had a little bit of swagger on the sideline. There was one play where it looked like he had a touchdown, and then he's like, no, 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 screw it. I'm just going to get up to the line of scrimmage. I'm going to sneak it in myself. And then that's, that's exactly what you would want somebody in that spot to do. So good for Vandy. Get the passing game going a little bit. Not a total train wreck. Touchdowns are cool. 
that's just a, a fire take that I've had for a little while. So Vandy finally does the touchdown thing. They're going to beat UConn now, especially now that UConn doesn't have the incredible contract negotiator Randy Edsel on its staff <laughs> anymore. I, I want to know who Randy Edsel's agent is. The beast in the boardroom, Randy Edsel. <laughs> the decline starts the minute he walks out of the negotiating room. He's like your boy we just talked about, the, the OC. If my kid gets, if I have a, a starting quarterback who gets a B plus in class, I get $50,000. Deal. I, I don't know. I don't know how Randy Edsel was able to do it for so long. Credit to him. The Vandy three win projection is back. It is so bad. Oh, let's go. Feeling better about it. Three and nine season. Vandy hadn't experienced a win in almost two years. We talked about Arkansas not having an SEC win for over a thousand days at this time last year. Vandy didn't win a football game for almost two years. Good for Vandy. Nobody should have to experience that. Proud of y'all, especially everybody that stayed up super late. I think that game closed at like 1.30 or something like that. It was on uh, CBS Sports Network. So you're a diehard if you watch that game. Tip of the cap to you. Let's end with one. Um, oh, I wanted to get to one thought real quick. By the way, the SEC 6-2 against Power 5 competition non-conference play plus 72. There's not really an argument that the SEC isn't the best conference in all of college football. The Pac-12, ironically enough, made a little bit of a run at that and then decided to you know, do a very Pac-12 thing and kind of crap on its foot at the end of the day with some of the way that those games played out. Joe Moorhead forever. Oh, I yeah. To say that. There were so many people watching that game tweeting about my guy and what a great game plan it was. There are some people now who are saying Joe Moorhead's a better offensive mind than Ryan Day. Some people are saying that. I'm not saying that I'm 100% one of them, but if somebody said that, would I maybe retweet and favorite that, or retweet and like that tweet? I would strongly consider it. And I think that we need to get that message out there to the world. I am really like legitimately happy for Joe. Offensive coordinator for Oregon, for those who, who don't know, and that game plan was awesome. And it looked like Ohio State had no chance really from the jump. Ohio State beat writers are like, they're gonna lose this game. They were saying that at the end of the first quarter, and they never say that. They're always predicting Ohio State's gonna come back. And all of a sudden, that playoff picture looks a little bit different. A little bit different. Maybe Michigan, the best team in the Big Ten. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We're not gonna go that far. But the Big Ten's playoff chances now with Wisconsin and Ohio State already having a loss. Iowa, best team in the Big Ten. Iowa looks good. Iowa, yeah, really that's, good. that's the squad, yeah. See? Alliance friends, this is why we need an expanded playoff because see what happens now. Ohio State's already lost the game. Now you got to go crawl exactly. into the committee to get a guy in. That's all I'm saying. Doesn't have to be this way, guys. You are exactly right, Will. You are exactly right. Let's end with it might mean too much. This was a midweek thing, so it wasn't a Saturday thing, but I imagine that they're going to have some nice post game reactions to this. The First Baptist Church in Fayetteville this week had a sign up that read, Football is only a game. Eternal things are spiritual. Nevertheless, beat Texas. If I went to that church regularly, I would be so fired up to show up on Sunday morning and know that whatever sermon you're going to get into first, I don't know, we'll set the over-under at 15 minutes of the sermon talking about how great Arkansas is and how great it was to beat Texas the way that Arkansas did. 
I love the the crossover. You know that that's that's a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel for it might mean too much. When we get some of this football stuff that crosses over into into faith based things, I always I always find that just the most southern thing you can possibly have. I oh, love yeah. that. I'm here for it all day. They're gonna they're gonna be some churches in Fayetteville who are they're gonna be hopping on on Sunday morning. We're recording this on Sunday morning, so I guess by the time people are listening to this, they'll have already been hopping for a bit. But got you a little bit of meat and three in your tummy. You're full. You're ready to go. You're ready to get get that week jump started. <laughs> love it. Love it. We are going to have uh, a lot to get to this upcoming week. Now we're getting a little bit deeper into the SEC play. We're actually going to have multiple SEC games next week. I already said that we're going to have our buddy Chris Doring on, talk a little bit of Alabama and Florida, hoping for another guest as well. Hopefully a first-time guest. We'll see. If you have not already subscribed to Saturday Lives Forever, you need to do that right now. The first episode, the Peyton Manning episode that Matt Hayes recorded is live. You need to go listen to it. Great narrative stuff. Tennessee fans, you need to drown your sorrows. You need to, you know, think about the, the good old days, think about the 90s, go do that right now. Listen to a Peyton Manning podcast. It'll make your day a lot better and you'll forget about all of the points that were left on the board on Saturday against Pitt. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored. If you have not, go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football, put your email address. If you have not, join the Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Hear your name right on air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks guys, talk soon.